Welcome to the podcast. I'm Shira Schoenberg. Massachusetts state government has received a massive pot of money, $5.3 billion, from the Federal American Rescue Plan. Lawmakers have begun to hold hearings on how to prioritize spending this money, which has been described as a once-in-a-generation opportunity. Here with me today to talk about the Senate's priorities are Senate President Karen Spilka and Senate Ways and Means Chair Michael Rodericks. Thank you for joining me. President Spilka, unlike past COVID relief bills, which were more narrowly tailored to public health needs, the ARPA money can be used for a wide range of uses over several years. Big picture, what are the major areas where you're hoping to spend the money? Well, uh, I thank you, first of all, for for doing this and having Chair Rodericks and me uh, today to talk about the ARPA money. And I just want to start out by saying that we all want what's best for the Commonwealth. And we may disagree on some of the specifics, but a lot of the general areas uh, are, are in agreement but uh, I do want to note that between Chair Rodericks and myself, we have a lot of experience guiding fiscal stability in Massachusetts. I was Senate Ways and Means Chair for three years. Uh, the, the Chair Rodericks has been in that capacity for several years now as well. Over that time, we significantly built up the Rainy Day Fund and I am proud of the fact that we had you know, all that rainy day fund uh, money so that when we had the budget for last year, 2021, and waited to do it, there was definitely wisdom in waiting. The state of Massachusetts did not have to cut uh, or make drastic cuts in the areas of the budget. Instead, we were able to double down and add and invest in key factors that were being hardest hit by COVID. So I believe that the wisdom in waiting applies here as well. There are areas that we may have some general ideas, clearly the general needs. Uh, I think that we would agree that there will be some investments in housing and climate. Structural inequities are critically important. I think there was testimony at the hearing uh, last week or this and this week about the differences in home ownership or UI rates, unemployment still with people of color versus white. So, you know, we, we need to invest in these areas to help our low-income families, our middle-class families, uh, workers and families, our intergenerational childcare that I've been talking about with childcare, elder care, and care for folks with disabilities. Mental health and public health, behavioral health are areas that we need to invest in. Education, higher ed, broadband are all areas in need. And there's, there's so many needs in Massachusetts, but we want to be thoughtful. We want to hear from folks. We want to hear from people in our communities um, and the district because we want to make sure this is not the only pot of money Massachusetts has gotten or will be getting. We've gotten tens and hundreds of millions of dollars already that have flowed 
directly to Massachusetts, many to state agencies, housing, economic development, uh, education and, and childcare, transit and other, that some of it is still not spent by the agencies. Some of it we still have waiting. When we get FEMA reimbursement, that will be another pot of money for Massachusetts to spend. This 5.3 billion rep reflects less than 10% of the total dollars that we will be getting. So we need to make sure we don't duplicate efforts. If we get an infrastructure bill from the federal government and Massachusetts again gets tens or hundreds of millions of dollars, we wanna make sure that we spend the infrastructure or transportation dollars on infrastructure and transportation and save the ARPA money for areas that does not duplicate the funding, but we save it. We have five years to spend that money. So we believe that taking a little bit more thoughtful, inclusive approach is the way to go. And obviously you've been focused on this wisdom of waiting and one reason I think you're stressing that right now is because Governor Baker has been pushing you to get some of the money out quickly. Um, I know you've talked about this need for a deliberative process. The governor has said that there are urgent needs now, things like job training for unemployed residents. He argues that projects like housing take time to get built. So maybe I'll bring in Chairman Rodericks now. Do you share his sense of urgency? And why, why does the legislature disagree with the governor's push to get some of the money out now? I don't think we necessarily disagree with the governor's push. I will argue that we already put a lot of money into those areas in the FY22 budget. If you look at the budget that uh, the governor just signed a short while ago for fiscal year 22, uh, we invested uh, $17 million in the Workforce Competitive Trust Fund. Uh, we invested uh, $18 million in career technical initiatives, uh, $15 million in community empowerment and reinvestment grants. Uh, $24 million in youth, youth works. We knew months ago that the um, additional unemployment insurance benefits were going to expire in September and that we had to prepare uh, our workforce development and workforce training programs, prepare them for this influx uh, of new clients, if you will. Uh, so we, we've, we've made those uh, investments. Um, being collaborative and thoughtful and inclusive and how and smart and patient on how we spend that money uh, is going to pay us big different uh, dividends uh, in the long run. Um, you know, we know, and we've heard from, you know, Evan Horowitz uh, at our hearing, we heard from Michael Goodman at our hearing that, you know, Congress designed this OPA funding uh, in a way that uh, we don't have to commit to what we're spending until the end of calendar year 24. We don't have to spend the dollars till the end of calendar year uh, 26. Uh, they designed it that way. So we would be thoughtful uh, and deliberative uh, and ensure that they have th these investments have the biggest impacts uh, on the long term, in the long term in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So I am um, certain uh, that there are going to be other areas as we go through this uh, this listening process and having these hearings that we're going to identify that need investments sooner rather than later. We will address those 
sooner rather than later, but they don't, we don't need to spend over half the money right now when we have years in which to invest this money. And we're coming off a budget where we've made significant investments in many of these areas. And so far, the concrete proposal that's out there for spending the money is the governor's. And that's pretty typical. The governor will put out his proposal, then the House will come out with theirs, then the Senate will come out with theirs. So what Governor Baker wants to do is he wants to take $2.9 billion, put a billion into housing, another billion into infrastructure, and use the rest for a variety of areas like tourism, job training, addiction treatment. President Spilka, do you think the governor is focusing in the right place or would you have would you have other priorities? Well, you know, I, I believe that many of the governor's areas of focus will be areas that the legislature wants to focus on as well. The ultimate amounts might, may not differ a little bit. Uh, the the pr- process or procedures, the specific areas that we put it to within, say, housing, uh, we all recognize we need more housing construction. One of the biggest problems to that prevents more housing construction is zoning reform. And the Senate has taken a real lead in making changes in zoning reform to enable us to build more houses. So uh, more homes, more, more homes for, for folks, working, working folks. So I believe that, that it's not always money that needs uh, to be looked at, but you know, I, I think that there will be areas. Again, the, the governor puts money towards uh, some areas of resiliency and fixing culverts for that, for, for one specific. Uh, I know we have some culverts, so it's stuck in my mind that, you know, many areas you don't normally think about culverts. But we, as I mentioned, there is uh, a, an infrastructure, a mega billion do- billions of dollars infrastructure bill that literally is coming down the pike. Uh, so will there be funding in that bill? For, for culvert and resiliency, there may well be. So my my hope is that we don't spend the ARPA on areas that we get specific funding from the, the federal government from. You know, a, as I mentioned, speed is a factor, but I, I we heard clearly in the hearings that speed cannot and absolutely should not be how we measure success. Uh, as I mentioned, it's not the only pot of money. We are, have so many other areas. There is money specifically going into housing, some federal pots of money specified for housing and housing stability, childcare, transit, and other uh, infrastructure. Um, I, I think that uh, it's important that we, we take the time to utilize this once in a lifetime opportunity to invest in bold and transformational change in our communities. And we take that responsibility seriously. I would like to just add and thank um, you, uh, take a moment to thank you for your recent series on how many cities and towns are planning on using their ARPA funding and I, I greatly appreciated uh, you highlighting that many communities are taking similar inclusive approaches 
that we in the legislature are in terms of how they should best spend their ARPA funding. For example, it's noted there that New Bedford and Revere are surveying their residents and holding focus groups on how best to spend the money. And Lynn is working to create a process for the public to have input uh, in how to best spend. So it's clear that, that you know, it's not just the legislature, many others believe that it's taking the time to make thoughtful allocations that reflect the true interests of our public is really the way everyone or many are approaching this amazing opportunity. And Chairman Rodericks, from a fiscal perspective, this is one-time money. Does it make sense to use it for one-time expenditures? I'm thinking things like building projects, paying back the unemployment insurance trust fund, or how do you avoid putting it into programs that are then going to obligate you to more state spending when the federal money runs out? Great question, Sharon. And absolutely, we need to be thoughtful and responsible on how we invest this money that we don't create structural deficits going forward so that we create programs uh, or, 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 or expenses that need to be sustained by budgets in the future. Uh, so we are very much focused on infrastructure investments in one-time uh, expenditures. Um, and you know we appreciate the governor's proposal and I say we, I mean, Chairman Michael Witz and I are working very, very closely together on this. And as we have for the past, you know, almost two years now through this pandemic, uh, we are in constant communication with one another. We certainly have our agreements and some of our disagreements, but we've, we've worked very, very closely together. Um, you know, we invited Governor Baker and Secretary Heffernan to our very first hearing in order to hear their proposal. Uh, we plan on building uh, upon uh, their proposal. Um, and um, we want to ensure that, you know, these once, this is really once in a lifetime generational changing opportunities that we're going to have with this, these dollars. And um, we want to do it right and we will do it right. Okay. One fundamental question is do you use this money to expand what works, to put money into programs that already exist, or do you try to make some kind of systemic change, things like beginning to provide universal pre-K? President Spielka, what do you think about that? I agree that these one-time funds, uh, should we should be looking at bold transformational changes in our communities and our state. Uh, and, and that is way we are looking. We may end up using some of it to uh, do more, uh, you know, behavioral health areas, for example, expanding some of that. But even with that, maybe, and this is just an example, it, some of it may be able to be used to expand the number of beds across the state in behavioral health, mental health, uh, that we all know we, we need and we don't have the seed money to do it in the way that we all uh, need it to happen. So, But I think some of this is uh, looking at and hearing from folks in all areas, hearing from the advocates, 
uh, hearing from other senators, hearing from the reps, you know, in, in the House, it's very important that we incorporate the feedback. I also want to, the Senate has the new Reimagining Massachusetts Post-Pandemic Resiliency Committee that Senator Hines is chairing up. I wanna make sure that we incorporate the feedback from those very important hearings and discussions uh, surrounding these decisions. So I think a lot of this should be for big, bold, transformative ideas. Uh, but again, and we look forward to hearing from people, there will be more hearings in the fall. And then I anticipate working closely with the House in particular, the speaker and I have had some great discussions as well. And you know, to see uh, starting at some point in the fall, beginning to allocate some of the funding. Again, speed is a factor, but it should not be how we measure success. Success should be measured on what the outcomes are to, to these investments. And this question, it's an important one, so I wanna ask it of both of you, which is the pandemic really highlighted the longstanding needs that exist in the black community and in the Latinx community in particular where factors like crowded housing, less access to healthcare and transportation, a concentration in essential jobs really made these communities much more vulnerable to the pandemic. I know you've both talked about the importance of equity. I wanna ask you both, how do you envision using the federal ARPA money to help minority communities? I, I'll, I guess I'll jump in first. I think first of all, by listening to minority communities, uh, we've had conversations just, um, just yesterday with BECMA uh, and we want to ensure that uh, we hear, especially from those communities that were disproportionately impacted um, by, uh, by the pandemic, uh, by the black and brown communities, the minority communities. Um, and um, the Senate president mentioned earlier, we, we already have the facts, the statistics that um, the unemployment rate amongst the minority community is two to three to four times higher than that of the non-minority community. Uh, so um, it's, it's by, once again, doing what we're doing, uh, being deliberative, uh, being, being inclusive of, of the community and listening uh, to their ideas and their thoughts on how we can best impact that community. Yeah, I think uh, I, I would highlight and echo what uh, Chair Rodericks just said, again, listening is probably the most important thing that we in the legislature can do so that we actually send funds to the targeted areas that the communities of color believe are the most uh, impactful with this funding. You know, as I mentioned, we do know that, that there are needs in housing, healthcare, uh, workforce development clearly, uh, and many other areas, but how that trickles down to be specifically what kind of programs for housing would be most helpful? What kinds of workforce opportunities? You know, should it be uh, an expansion of the community college workforce training, two-year programs, certificate programs? I think that these are the types of things that we want 
important to hear so that we know when we do appropriate the, the funding that it goes to the areas that the communities of color will be uh, most impacted by, positively impacted, and, and they believe are helpful. And I'll start with Chairman Rodericks on this. What kind of public transparency and checks will you have on how the money is spent? You know, will the, for example, will the final decisions on how it's spent be made openly? Will there be any kind of online tracker on where the money is going? How does the public have confidence that you're spending this in a transparent manner? We're going to continue um, in the Senate what we took the lead on uh, during last, uh, during this last uh, budget deliberations, where we included a section that requires all of the federal dollars be uh, spending be posted on an you know, an open web-based um, uh, information for any members of the public to see exactly where these dollars are spent. Um, we will spend it, I assume, um, that we'll conduct a similar process that we do with our, our, with our operating budgets or our supplemental budgets or any spending bills um, that uh, first the House will vote on something and then the uh, then the Senate will vote on it. It will be open and transparent and public, and we will build in whatever tools are necessary to ensure accountability uh, and so, so that uh, the public, um, the taxpayers of the Commonwealth can see for themselves that the dollars are spent exactly as they were intended to. President Spilka, transparency? Well, I, I would commit to all, all the provisions that the chair just committed to uh, I think that it's important that not only we in the legislature know that the funding actually goes to the intended purposes, but the public as well. So uh, all, all of the spending should be, there should be a clear dashboard on the administration's website as to where the money's being allocated, how much of it is spent, how, where it is spent, how much of it is left so that anybody could pursue, pr pursue that and look at it online. I do just wanna add though, another thought that in terms of, of uh, spending the ARPA funding, generally, this is what the legislature does. In the past, generally, the legislature, as you know, appropriates. The governor puts out his budget, a proposed budget in January. The House does theirs in April, the Senate in, in May. And then in June, the House and Senate negotiate their budgets. The governor's is certainly uh, a guide, guide and has a lot of great proposals, many of which may be taken into account in the House or Senate budget, but not all. And it's up to the House and Senate to decide what goes in each of their budgets and then negotiates the final budget that is signed by the governor and, and finalized that way. This is pretty similar, you know, the, the, how the governor is putting forth a proposal, you know, he's spending more than half of the 5.3, he got 200 million to spend, he spent 186 of it already, 75 million was spent on the legislative priority of, of um, paid emergency leave for workers, uh, and a few other things. So uh, his proposal spends, you know, a decent amount, more than even half of this uh, funding. Um, 
we take that into account, but we like we do in hearings and listening to, to advocates and, and others uh, across the state when we have budget hearings, the House and Senate will appropriate and uh, certainly will be working with the governor and then he and his administration will implement like, like in the budget. So this is a typical budget process that is done non-emergency time. We are no longer in the state of emergency, the, the major state of emergency at the height of COVID. We are no longer in the rescue situation where money needed to be spent urgently and quickly. We are now in recovery mode and back to the more normal uh, budget type of appropriation process. So final question for both of you, starting with uh, Chairman Rodericks. Looking back 10 years from now, what will be your measure of success on whether this ARPA money was well spent? Whoever's sitting in my seat 10 years from now would comment that uh, when the legislature had the opportunity to, to invest these, this $5 billion of one-time dollars, they did so in the right way. They did so in a way that ensures that today, 10 years later, we're able to uh, witness uh, the results and the impacts of those investments um, on better quality of life for all of the citizens uh, of the Commonwealth. And that in fact, we did realize a true equitable recovery from the pandemic. Madam President. I would hope that 10 years from now, whoever is looking back during this time period and these, uh, these coming years will be able to see concrete, tangible, positive results of the investments that we make in terms of really transformational change, uh, major a uh, decrease in structural racism and increase in equality in all of the areas that we know need to be touched upon, uh, major increases in quality of life for all of our residents, no matter what age they are, what background they come from, whatever zip code they live in, just a real transformative, positive, change for our Commonwealth. And you can read more on commonwealthmagazine.org. Senate President Karen Spielka, Senate Ways and Means Chair Michael Rodericks, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Shara. Thank you. Thank you.